And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on all the words There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 146. Yes, I know, I know, I know. Y'all are going, where the hell is 145? Well, there was a glitch. Um, I'm not sure if I've been kicked off the fly that is spotted, or it just, there was a coding glitch, or it just got lost somewhere. But 145 did come out last week um, on the Jason Modcast Network. It just didn't make it to anywhere else. <laughs> so this is actually 146. Um, now, I am going to warn you, I am in a totally different environment. I am on a completely brand, oh, excuse me, brand new to me anyway, um, setup. I've never used a setup like this before. Um, I've never used headphones where I can actually hear myself. It's very strange. Uh, not a, a an enjoyable experience yet. Um, it might get better. So this is going to sound really awkward, I'm sure. But, you know, bear with me. So I am not in the home studio, obviously. I am elsewhere. And, um, I am with the live studio audience. And that is about all I'm going to say on location because I do need to keep my location private for my own security. So let's just say I am with the live studio audience. Um, they are here in person and you may actually hear them in the background. I'm sure if I say something that uh-oh, <laughs> I have a screw loose and I just dropped it. It's somewhere down there on the floor. I'm sure I'll find it when I go to get up from the chair because I'll step on it. Uh, yeah, so I am out of the home studio audience for a little bit. Uh, housekeeping. I have a little bit of... I don't have any housekeeping. Apparently, the live studio audience says I don't have housekeeping. So I'm not going to tell you that Walter G. Esselman's book, Katmandu, is out. I didn't tell you because there's no housekeeping. dead silence from the background <laughs> okay so moving right along um i did I, okay so i didn't record last week because i was getting ready to um go on vacation so there was packing that needed to happen and planning and panicking and then more packing and then unpacking and repacking and weighing and yeah. And I thought I was being smart. So I put all of my clothes and everything into my suitcases and I thought, you know what? I'll be smart. I'll use my carry-on for all of my toiletries. 
<laughs> yeah, that was a $150 mistake because apparently, um, since the last time I've flown, the rules for liquids have changed. Apparently, so has the definition of a liquid. Now, when I took science in high school, um, I will admit I may not have always attended class. I may not have always paid attention in class. And I may or may not have been involved in blowing up the science lab. Um, they could never prove that it was me. They could never prove that uh, Dale was involved. And they could never prove that uh, Mike was involved. Not that Mike, different Mike. I didn't go to high school with that Mike. But they did, <laughs> they did pin it on the cheeriest person in class. And um, I take this karma with me and I, I, I own it. We let her take the blame for it because everybody loved her and she wouldn't get into trouble. Uh, we also all did end up having the day off of school because it really stunk and the halls were filled with smoke. <laughs> uh, but I did learn in science class that a liquid is liquid and a solid has mass and form and <coughs> structure, you know, like cream and gel and um, lotion that has structure. It has like a membrane, like it's not water, it's not a Coca-Cola, it's not orange juice, it's not um, gasoline. Those are all liquids. Well, gas is a liquid and a gas, but it's not a solid. And when I got to the airport and I went through security thinking I was all, you know, I'm good. Because the last time I, I flew, you could have, there are way too many things on this desk for me to play with. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm sitting here playing with things because there's things on the desk that I can play with. So I am. Um, you could have, you could take liquids in your suitcase, like shampoo, lotion, perfume, um, as long as they were in the little 100 milliliter bottles so that's what I did I made sure I didn't take and, and you know I have my nail polish my face creams my hair gel my hair creams um all of that stuff and the dude at like I put my suitcase my, my carry on up on the thing I take out my tablet like I'm, I'm old hat at this I know what I'm doing I wore Crocs because they're easy to put on and take off because you have to take your shoes off didn't wear underwire, didn't wear a metal barrette, flipped my necklace around. You know, I know how to go through security. So put my suitcase up there, put my, my tablet, my computer, all of that in the little bin, my shoes, my coat, yada, yada, yada. I go through, I clear, and I'm waiting for my stuff to come down, and it goes through the x-ray, and she yoinks the first one. I'm like, what the hell? Why, why did she yoink that one? Um, and then my suitcase comes through, my carry-on comes through and she yoinks that one to be searched. And I'm like, okay, so it was searched before. Um, I had, 
did I have in my suitcase? I don't remember what it was. I don't remember if it was my um, electric nail file or if it was my electric razor. It was something oddly shaped and I couldn't, they didn't, they couldn't identify it. They didn't know what it was. So they had to open my suitcase and rifle through my belongings and what is this? And I had to tell them what it was. And uh, then they you know, put everything back in my suit. Well, they actually hand you your suitcase and you have to repack it. And then, you know, I was free to go along my merry way. Well, not this time. He hands me this teeny tiny little bag and says, all of your liquids have to fit into here and any medications that you'd like to take with you. I beg your pardon? Because I had all my medications in there as well. And he says, you're only allowed to have enough medication for one night. Since when? What if you lose my luggage? Then I am out of my medications. It's not like I can just go to any pharmacy and have them replaced. So I'm like, what do you mean? I have to, like, all my liquids have to fit. So I'm like, fine. I'm, I figure all my nail polishes are dollar store anyway. I can just, I'll take my favorite colors, put them in there and replace the rest. So I did that. I was looking through that. And then um, my flat iron, um, I was just, okay, you know what? I'll just get rid of that. And he's like, oh no, all of those creams. I have several face creams and neck creams because I am over 50 and I am battling wrinkles. I don't have any and I want to keep it that way for a while. So he's like, no, no, all of those face creams are liquids. Excuse me. You take the lid off, you tip it upside down. It's like a freaking blizzard. It doesn't move. How is that a liquid? That's not a liquid. That is the very definition of a solid. And he says, you know, the the bottle that I have for my leave-in conditioner, it's very thick. It's a solid, not a liquid. It doesn't flow. Um, he says that can't go either. So pretty much everything in my toothpaste, everything, pretty much in my suitcase had to get thrown out. And I'm like, oh, no. He says, okay, well, you can check it. You can go and check it. Well, I've already checked my bags. So, okay, I figured it was only going to be like 40 bucks. I'll go check my bag. Not a problem. Um, I had checked the first, first bag was $30. The second bag was $40. So I'm thinking, okay, third bag is going to be $50. It goes up by 10. <sighs> so he puts, the, he puts everything, like just shoves everything into my bag. And he says, okay, go back out. I'll hand you your bag on the other side. Fine. I go out, I beep. I'm like, oh my God. She's like, no, 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 you're fine. Go. I get my bag. I go back, run all the way back to the um, airline booth and I get back in line and I get back up there and I'm like, okay, I have to check this bag. They won't let me bring any of this stuff on the plane. So I have to check the bag. He's like, okay. And he gets my flight number and he gets all my flight information. And he says, that's $150. And I went, that's like included with the 70 I've already paid, right? He says, no, 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 that's on top of. Huh? What? What do you mean on top of? How is it that this bag is 35 pounds? I've already checked two bags that are 50 pounds, and this is three times the price. 
that's not mathing for me. That's not working for me. This is a carry-on. And it's $150 for a third bag. Well, unfortunately, I didn't have a choice. So I had to pay it and get my bag checked. Um, and I will admit, actually having to check the carry-on and not cart it through the airport was nice. And I just had my personal bag, which now became my carry-on. So I could take my purse out of my big bag, my big computer bag and, you know, carry my purse and not have to keep fishing it in and out and shoving it in and yada, yada, yada. But like, holy crap, I'm telling you, airports are ridiculous. They make a killing. And um, when I was in Toronto, the airport in Toronto, uh, they have a water fountain. Like you go through security, you're not allowed to take any liquids, obviously. So I mean, I took an empty, my empty water bottle. Because I know I'm not allowed to bring liquids, like big liquids. So I took my empty water bottle. Got to the other side. I was going to buy a bottle of water. Well, they have water fountains, you know, where you can stop and get a drink, like the, the high school water fountains. But it also has a water bottle filling station. You put your water bottle in, fills it up, and it's free. I thought, yes, I am good to go. So I filled that up, put it in my bag, and I'm like, yay. You think I could find one at any other airport that I landed at? Hell no. But because I didn't cheap out on my flight, I actually went with a commercial airline. They give you free snacks. And because I had to pay $150 for my stupid carry-on, I didn't have the disposable cash that I was hoping to have. Um, so I couldn't buy snacks and drinks for the plane. Um Luckily enough, I had a few shekels in my bank account that I could get something to eat on my layover. Uh, but I mean, still, you know, an $8 meal, when you convert it, becomes a $12 meal. <laughs> like, holy crap, for a cheeseburger. Kind of ridiculous. But, um, so I was lucky that I didn't have to worry about not having something to drink or something to snack on because they give you free snacks and a free, you know, you can have water. And like everybody's ordering water and I'm watching and I'm like, okay, is water all I'm going to get? I mean, if water's all I'm going to get, I'll take a glass of water because that's all they were giving you was a glass, a little plastic cup of water. That was it. And that's what these people were getting. They said, oh, I'll just have water. Thank you. What's wrong with you? They're offering you free drinks, not alcohol. So then I saw somebody get a pop soda for those American people that are listening. And I went, ooh, wait a minute. And then I noticed that they were asking for ginger ale and they were getting Canada dry. And I'm like, yes. If I'm getting free snacks, you bet I'm going to get like the top of the line free snacks. If you're handing out free caviar, I don't care if I don't like caviar. I'm getting to caviar. So when they got to me, she hands me a little bag of um, pretzels and a little bag with two cookies in it. I'm not sure what kind of cookies they were, but I was starving. So I really didn't care. I did check the ingredients and I said, can I get a ginger ale? And, you know, I was getting prepared to, you know, whip out the credit card yet again. And she hands me a cup of ice and a whole can of ginger ale. I tell you, they got one cup of water, 
no ice. I got a cup of ice and a can of ginger ale. Woohoo! Yeah, me. I felt like I was flying in first class. It was great. And, and the seats had like these USB plugs in the back. So you could like charge your stuff while you're flying. I could watch a number of movies and TV shows that they had because I'm used to flying as cheaply as possible. So I loaded up my tablet with like a whole season 14, I think, of Criminal Minds, which (laughs) in hindsight is probably not the best thing to be watching when you're sitting there on a plane with somebody sitting beside you, I probably looked like some crazy person because here I am headphones on sitting there watching criminal minds on my tablet. You know, I'm not watching some little romance movie. I'm not watching something that's nice and, and, and family friendly. No, I'm watching people massacring each other and burying each other alive and, you know, torturing other people. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's what I do. <laughs> but I will say it did make people be a whole lot nicer to me and most of them avoided having to talk to me. So it was a nice flight. Um, It wasn't bad. Like I had, it was, it was decent. My first leg was three and a, three and a half hours. And then I had a two hour layover or two hour and 20 minute layover. And then the next half was two and a half hours so at least like I had time to stretch and I met some really lovely people um found out some really cool stuff about Ontario and um some sightseeing that I want to do things I want to check out so it was kind of cool but yeah I couldn't believe it 150 dollars which is more than double what it is for your first two bags. I w- I was just so now I know when I go home um to pack all of my liquids into the suitcases. I'll put them in Ziploc bags because what happens is underneath the airplane where they put your your baggage, it's not climate controlled. So it gets really cold and things explode, which is why you can't have anything with batteries in it um underneath the plane because they explode. And uh, so I'm going to have to put all my liquids into Ziploc bags and put them into my per or into my um, checked baggage and then put clothes and stuff into my carry on. Um, but yeah. So that was fun. <laughs> and of course, we're sitting at the airport. And anything almost that could go wrong kind of did go wrong. Um, my brother was late, had a panic attack. He showed up. He wanted to talk. We chatted. Um, We start driving. There's traffic. We get to the airport and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I have enough time. I finally get through. I'm in the little lounge where I sit. There are no seats. No seats whatsoever. And there's this one guy and I swear to God, I was so tempted. I was going to go sit on his hand and his stupid little mouse. He was taking up two seats in the lounge. He's got his laptop on his lap and he's using the seat beside him as a mouse pad. Like, really? Really? Dude. There's little old ladies standing and you're using an entire seat as a mouse pad. So I finally found a little spot on the floor 
right across from some Amish chick and her very English boyfriend. Now, if you know anything about Amish people, regular people that live in the real world with hydro and running water and internet, they're called English. Um, now, I don't know if, they, if that's what they call them in Canada, because I haven't really actually stopped an Amish person in Canada and said, hey, what do you call me? Uh, the only reason why I know they call them, at least in, in Pennsylvania, they call them English, is from watching um, Return to Amish. <laughs> yeah, I watch trash TV. Shoot me. Don't judge. But um, he reminded me of one of the characters from Return to Amish. And she was very Amish. She had like the the Amish dress and uh, well she might have been Mennonite but you know same thing. And the little cap and um, she seemed very meek and and like you know he's on his cell phone and she's kind of standing there. And then she whips out his cell phone I'm like okay so apparently they are allowed a few luxuries. But I have noticed, actually, that I've come across a couple of lives on TikTok where um, it's it actually is an Amish person and she's streaming live while she's baking. She's answering questions. Um, she's going about her chores and she's streaming live. And I'm like, that that kind of takes away from being Amish, doesn't it? <laughs> You know, like you're just Amish on TV. <laughs> but uh, so I'm sitting on the floor and I'm messaging everybody, sending everybody videos. You know, I'm, I made it through. I'm here. And the hardest part, like the, the one part that I always panic about is when you get to the part. And I don't know why. I have no reason to. I'm not breaking the law. I'm not doing anything wrong. But I always, even when I cross the border, when I'm driving, I always am anxious. And it's really funny because my mom said so was my dad. My dad was always nervous when he would get to the border. And um, so I'm always nervous when I get to customs and I have to give them my passport. And, you know, where are you going? How long are you going for? Yada, yada, yada. And I'm always very chatty. <laughs> So I finally get through security and I'm at that point and I'm standing there waiting and the guy says, okay, go way down there to number two. So I'm at number seven, right? Like there's seven and eight is in front of me and booth two is way down there and there's nobody at any of the other booths. So he's way down there by himself. So he's got his head down as I'm approaching him and I can see he's kind of doing something. So I get up there and I'm like, well, they apparently didn't think you were working hard enough. So they sent me down here. So and I look and I can see his phone and I'm like, yeah, no more solitaire for a minute. <laughs> so he laughs and he like I hand him my passport. We struggle with the camera to try and match my face to the passport because I'm too short. Um, I eventually had to get up on my like get up on my toes so that my face would line up with the camera so that it would clear it in the computer. And he hands me back my passport. And he says, okay, have a good flight. Off you go. What? Wait, what? Why, why is this so easy? This isn't supposed to be the easy part. So I thought, okay, here we go. Clear sailing from, from here on out. I made it. I'm through. Let's go. I get into the lounge. I'm sitting on the floor now because, you know, all the chairs are taken and then the dude with the mouse 
So I'm sitting on the floor messaging everybody. And as I'm sending a message to Dave, they come over the loudspeaker and say that, you know, boarding has been delayed for certain flights, disembarking, I don't know, unloading, getting off the plane for certain flights have been delayed. There are planes sitting on the runway, waiting to pull up to the gate. They've stopped everything because there's lightning. (laughs) We've got a big storm happening all of a sudden. Lightning is striking the ground around the planes. I'm like, oh my gosh, no. What, what, okay, what else could possibly, possibly go wrong? So, luckily enough, the the storm kind of cleared out and we boarded semi on time. (laughs) But like I said, it was a full flight. And I kind of, I don't know what made me do it. And I'm glad I did. But um, when I was booking my flight, I always choose my seats because I want to make sure I get a window seat. I figure if I am going down in a blaze of glory, I am going to do it with an incredible view. So I always make, I always book my seat. That way I know, I know where I'm sitting. I know where I'm going to be on the plane and I don't have to worry about it. I can just, I can get on the plane. I can look at my ticket and go, this is my seat number. There's my seat. Sit down. I'm good to go. So while we're sitting in the lounge and we're getting ready to board, they take, of course, they take all the um, disabled people first in wheelchairs and get them seated. And then they take all priority, like first class and veterans. They get to go and military personnel. They get to go on first. And then they call by groups. And there was like nine groups of people. So when I was checking in and trying to pay for my bags, um, it said, do you want to upgrade your priority to board earlier than other groups for $33? I'm like, hell yeah. So I thought, I'll do that. 33 bucks. I get to get on the plane before, you know, the unwashed masses. I can get comfortable. It'll be all good. So I look at my ticket and it says group four. Great. So get up there. And then they come across the speaker and they say, okay, everybody for this flight going to here, um, it is a sold out flight and they are going to run out of room for um, checked luggage. So they are willing to check your luggage for free. I'm like, what? Wait, what? You're what? (laughs) I just paid $150 to check my luggage and you're now doing it for free. Heh, really? And they said that anybody who didn't have a seat assignment, who just booked their flight and didn't choose their seat, might not make the flight and that they would be reimbursed and could rebook a later flight. Like, who? thank gosh, I picked a seat because I know I'm getting on this flight. I was a little pissy about the, the free checked luggage. Um, but I'm like, okay, so you would think that they would build a plane that would fit, have overhead bins for your luggage for every single seat. But apparently they don't. So everybody was running up. And then they said those in groups seven, eight, and nine 
might not make the flight. So now these people have all checked their luggage. (laughs) And if they didn't have a seat assignment, they might not get on the plane. Their luggage is going on vacation, but they might not be. So we get on the plane and yeah, it's packed. There is every seat is taken. There's screaming children. There was um, no, that was the second flight. She was on the second flight. But, you know, we're sitting there. It's raining. You can hear what I think was thunder. It could have been the rumble of the plane but I'm pretty sure it was thunder because we drove out through like we we took off in lightning now it wasn't fork lightning so it wasn't hitting the ground it was just sheet lightning it was just lighting up the sky but my god that was freaky like you're coming up through the clouds and okay so if you've ever not been on a plane you know you, you taxi down the runway and you're kind of going at a good speed and then you start picking up a little speed and you start picking up a little speed and then all of a sudden the pilot decides, I want to be in the air and he tromps on it and you are like smashed into your seat and like your face, you have no wrinkles because now your face is all blown back and your hair is all blown back and you can't lift your head. It's kind of like the Gravitron, but you're not spinning. You're moving forward. And then you're looking at the window and all of a sudden, like, you know, you're, you're going up. The ground is, is disappearing and that's all fine and good. And then we get up, I don't know how many thousand feet. Um, I can still see ground. And then all of a sudden I can't see ground because there's clouds and you're completely encased in these clouds. You can't see anything. There's nothing but cloud and flashing lights. (laughs) Oh, first of all, I don't like turbulence because the, the, the air should not feel like a bumpy road. And now I'm in a rave off the ground. Um, and then we got up above the clouds and it was beautiful. I got to watch the sunset and I look down and I see all these clouds below me. And I'm like, oh, you poor people. The sunset's beautiful. It really is. Um, yeah, and I just put my headphones on and... Um, watched criminal minds until we landed but we were a little late and then we landed because we were a little delayed some of the people on our flight their connecting flight was in like four minutes so they had to get off the plane run through the airport and get onto their next plane in four minutes now they did find out that they were going to hold the plane for the people on our plane because half the plane was getting on this other one apparently So the pilot did come on and say, look, let's be a little nice here. Those of you that aren't taking a connecting flight, those of you that have a connecting flight later, please remain seated and let the panicked passengers that have to get on a plane in four minutes get off first. So you can see them. They're all rushing. And I, I'm not stereotyping groups. I'm really not. But... I will tell you that um, some of the most ignorant people that I ran across on my flight were Asian. I, there was this this one Asian man that seemed to think that his flight was more important than everybody else's, that getting to his seat was more important than everybody else's. And he shoved a little... Um, 
Punjabi woman. She was no more than maybe four feet tall. And he like elbowed her out of the way so that he could get into the lineup to get on the plane. It's like, dude, your seat's not going anywhere. That's your seat. It's got your, that's where you're sitting. It's not going anywhere. And he tried to go through. He got up there and he tried to, like, he put his, his boarding pass down. And she looked at him and said, your group's not boarding yet. Please go back to the line. <laughs> and a few of us were like, <laughs> as we were going by, because, you know, we were in groups one through four. <laughs> so we got on the plane first. <laughs> so, yeah, I was kind of glad I got that little upgrade so that I could get on the plane because, I mean, all of a sudden it's like this mass of people trying to get on the plane and they're sticklers about what group is boarding. If you're not in that group, you're not getting on the plane until it's your turn. Um, and I had this guy in front of me on my connecting flight. First, let me tell you about Karen. I had a Karen on my plane and this Karen had a, um, service dog now I'm pretty sure a Yorkshire Terrier is an emotional support dog and not necessarily a service type dog um but yeah her little Yorkie was in her little bag and had um, a service vest on. Now, it's not a service vest I've ever seen on licensed service dogs. Um, you know, like epilep epilepsy dogs, autism dogs, um, blind seeing eye dogs, um, PTSD dogs. This was a weird vest that had like, you know, um, service dog patch on it. So we're all standing there in line and we've kind of sorted ourselves into our groups. Um, and this is, this is in the Toronto airport. Yes, she was on the Toronto flight. So she was a Canadian Karen. Um, so she all of a sudden just comes pushing through the crowd. She's got her dog bag on top of her carry-on and she's pushing through the crowd and she's getting mad at people that don't see the dog because the dog's down low in this carry-on dog bag on top of her carry-on luggage that she's wheeling through the crowd. And they're putting all the people in the wheelchairs into the lineup so that they can get on first. And she's shoving her way, like she's elbowing people and pushing them out of the way. And like, excuse me, excuse me, don't you see my dog? Excuse me, don't get near my dog. Well... <laughs> The girl that was running, uh, was that was doing the desk at the the where you give your boarding pass. Um, she was not having it. <laughs> she was she was not going to deal with this Karen at all. <laughs> she was not having it, and she's trying to this this woman is trying to push her way up to where the the wheelchairs are because she felt that she needed to be up where the handicapped people were and the lady comes out and she's like we're not boarding yet you need to go stand back with everybody else these are 
the wheelchair. We've got them ready to go, but we're not boarding yet. Your pilot isn't even on the plane. He's standing over there. And she pulls the seatbelt thing, you know, the thing that they, they close off ways to go. And she pulls that over and she snaps it in and she pushes the lady back. Well, holy moly. Did she ever go off? This is the worst thing and I need to see. She actually asked to see the manager and the lady's like, I'm the only one here. This, this is what you're getting. It's me. And like, she she was a no-nonsense. She was not putting up with crap, man. So the gate finally, you know, the pilot gets on the plane and they, they say, okay, group. They take the, the handicapped people. Well, this woman wasn't even in like the first she was in like I don't know a group after me I was in group four so they called group one and she tried to go and looked at her ticket and she said I'm sorry that's not your group you have to go back and get in line and then they called group two and then they called group three and four so we're going and she's still standing there waiting um and she was just fit to be tied I guess she figured putting a vest on her little Yorkie would um get her some privilege or something but she gets on the plane and every time I took my headphones off all I could hear was her complaining about how she had to sit with her dog on her lap because they wouldn't allow her to have an extra seat for the dog no those are for human butts unless you're gonna pay for the seat you're not having the seat. Um, so, yeah, it was an uneventful flight. For the most part, it was an uneventful flight. There was very little turbulence, uh, which I was very thankful for. Now, I think the airlines need to do some retraining on landing. Takeoff is rough. I don't like takeoff. Because of that, you know, G-force feeling of being thrown back into your seat and not being able to move. Landing, on the other hand, is horrific. Because you're coming down and you're watching the ground come up. And my advice to you is don't watch out the window too closely. And I will tell you why. Not because it'll scare you. It may just knock you out. Because when they finally touch down on the ground, the pilot slams on the brakes. And if you're leaning too far forward, you're going to slam your face into the seat in front of you. If you're looking too closely out the window, you're going to headbutt the glass on the window. Do you know how I know this? Do you know? Because I've done it twice. So when we landed the first time, we came to like a screeching halt screeching halt we almost pretty much stopped on a dime and everybody was like oh oh," because like he hit hard when he landed we bounced (laughs) and then he slammed on the brakes and people were like having we had to brace ourselves on the seat in front of us to prevent from you know making a connection with the seat in front of us Um, everything that was under the seats kind of slid forward. So it was a little rough. Now the second landing wasn't as rough. 
Um, but I have learned to sit back in my seat and not look out the window, not lean forward to grab anything because I will smack my head. I've done it a few times. Jeez. Live studio audience just scared the bejesus out of me. Can I help you, sir? Oh, just checking on me. Okay. I'm good. Um, so the second landing was still abrupt, but, you know, not as abrupt. And uh, I got off the plane and <laughs> my ride was not where my ride was supposed to be. <laughs> um, my ticket didn't tell me what terminal but it was funny because I came out and the, the last time I came, I flew and I came in on that plane into that airport. I came out in the exact same spot as I did this time at the the baggage claim. So, um, yeah, he had to. What is that thumping? I'm hearing like a. Oh, no, it's weird. I can hear it in my in my ears. Anyway, so, yeah, we got everything in, got situated. And then for me, it was like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., my time. Um, and so we decided to go and have breakfast burritos. Why not? I haven't had breakfast burritos in a while, so we went and had breakfast burritos. But um, overall, it was a good flight. It was a good flight. But yeah, I've learned some things for when I go back on how to pack and um, I'm not going to pack liquids of any kind. I I, I still, I, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just in Canada, but the bag was teeny tiny and I'm, I saved the bag because I'm going to put my stuff in that bag in my suitcase. And if they try and give me a problem, I'm going to be like, you gave me the bag this is the airport bag look at it says it on it on the bag um okay what is it's really weird because now it's starting to pick up i touch the desk and i can hear it i don't know what it is i am not even sure if the microphone's picking it up It's the desk. It's so weird. It sounds like the desk is rocking back and forth. And I'm not even like hardly touching it. But anyway. Okay. If this is a, a, an earthquake, I'm, I'm, don't, don't. Yeah, shh. Shh. <laughs> now, see, now I'm looking around to check and see if anything else is like moving or swaying. My water's not moving. I don't have the Jurassic Park effect happening in my water, so. It's good. Okay. I think it's, I think it's me. It's probably me. It's always me. Um. Oh, is that ever weird? Oh, that's what it is. Oh, okay. Never mind. I figured it out. It's all good. It's the microphone. <laughs> it's okay um i did have some things that i wanted to talk about some serious stuff but it's kind of been a long day today 
it's kind of been um, a draining emotional day today. So I decided that before I, I, I get into that stuff, I want to do a little research. I want to do a little uh, planning because it's, I mean, I want to talk about um, editors and editing and what I think editors are there for and what some editors do. Um, I do, we do have an author coming up next year that um, had an editor for their stuff and there was some conflict between the author and the editor and what the editor felt um, the author should do about certain parts. And she almost pulled out of her contract with us. Now, it's an amazing book. I'm very excited about it. And I was very upset that she was considering pulling out because of this other editor. She felt some of the things that the author had said were going to be too inflammatory, too um, derogatory, too racist or transphobic or homophobic. And she sent me the passages. And I'm like, how? Um, and I think... With the climate today, with all of this wokeism and political correctedness, I think some editors are kind of taking it to an extreme and they want to make everything so generic and so bland that it's not going to offend anybody in any way, shape or form. And they're looking at things that are completely benign and completely non-confrontational and making it confrontational. Like if you were describing a victim and saying they were brown-skinned and of Asian descent, well, she felt that that was, could be viewed as racist and they should be Caucasian. Wait, what? Or not even saying what race they were. Well, it's, it, you're, the, 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 they're explaining the victim. So you kind of have to put that in there to paint the picture of what the reader is trying to see in their mind. So um, I told her, just leave it. It's fine. There was a couple of other parts too um, that actually had like the one person was murdered and the fact that she was a lesbian had absolutely no bearing on the, the reason why she was murdered. She was just a lesbian who owned a gay club unrelated to why she was murdered. That's where they went to murder her. But that needed to be in there because it needed to explain where the killer was going to do the job. So again, not homophobic, not transphobic, none of that. It was just part of the scene. So I told her, you know what, just leave it. Tell this editor friend of yours that your publisher says it needs to be left so that our company editor can go through it for our standards. So that's how I got her out of that. 
But it really bothers me when an editor takes a perfectly good story and is so afraid of um, the climate that the that the political climate because that's what it is it's a political climate and they're so afraid of offending somebody or hurting somebody or coming across as something they're not that they go to the complete extreme in the opposite direction and it really bothers me when an editor tries to tell an author how that author's story should go that you need to take it in this direction, that this is where how this should play out. Well, no, that's not the author's vision. And what an editor, in my mind and in my books, and by my definition, what an editor is there to do is to take that author's vision, to take that author's dream and polish it, not change it, not add their idea of what they think the story should be, to it but to polish it make sure everything's spelled correctly is grammatically correct now if a sentence or a paragraph feels awkward what I will do is I will give my authors suggestions I feel this is a little awkward it doesn't quite flow easily Um, what if we tried this and I will give them a suggestion And 99% of the time, my author will come back to me and go, oh, yeah, how about if I did it this way? And they've taken my suggestion. They've worked with it. They've put their spin on it. They've put their stamp on it and their passion on it and given it back to me as their work, which is exactly what I wanted them to do in the first place. I'm not here to write it for you. I'm here to make you a better writer. I'm here to give you suggestions on how to make something the best it can possibly be. But I don't want to change it because it's your idea. It's your your story. And if you can give me a good argument as to why that is written that particular way, okay, then that's how it's going to be written. I have an author that likes to um, mash words together to convey a certain emotion, to convey excitement or nervousness, and he'll mash five or six words together to give you the illusion or the impression that the character is speaking very fast. Drives me nuts. (laughs) because that's not how I do it. But that's how my author does it. And he explained it to me and he explained why he likes it. And even though it drives me nuts, we leave it in because it's his vision, not mine. I can write my books the way I want them written. I will edit his books the way he wants them written. Now, I do take exception to when he misspells his main character's words five or six times and changes the spelling of the name. Then I will email him back and say, would you pick one? (laughs) He's like, oh, that was a mistake. But I don't change his vision. That's how he wants it. That's his way of writing excitement and um, nervousness 
and all of that. And it's my job to help him realize his vision. Now, there were times I would make suggestions. This isn't quite feeling right. Let's try it this way. And he'd be like, well, no, but how about this way? And we would, you know, come to an agreement. But I don't think an editor's job is to rewrite the story in their image. And I think a lot of editors go on a power trip and they feel like they know better than the author. And I don't. I am no better than any other author out there. I just happen to be really good at English and grammar and sentence structure and what flows and what doesn't flow, what feels awkward and what works um, because I've been doing it for a very long time. And um, it's something that I excelled at my entire life. So I was raised by a school, like my aunt was a school teacher. So I've had this training my entire life and I have been editing for the better part of almost six years now. So I know my job and my job is not to, again, rewrite somebody else's story the way I think it should be told. My job is to make it the best possible version of their story that they are happy with. And I like to think that each of my authors are happy with the finished product, that they are proud of the finished product. Um, and that they feel like it is still their work because I know I have author, like author friends that I've talked to that um, they've sent their work in and by the time the editor and the, the, the copy editor and the line editor and all of that is done, it didn't feel like their work anymore. It felt like their idea, but it didn't feel like their work. It didn't feel like their words. And I don't ever want my authors to feel that way. So, yeah, I was very, um, I was very angry with this other editor and the things that she was saying to this author like she was telling her that the book was nowhere near ready it would be years she wasn't that good of an author that you know she needed more life experience and she needed more um, training and that she should trust her because she knew better and she could write help her write a better book and it needed to be this way and that she would be shunned in the community I'm like wait what she was discouraging this young author from following her dreams. And when she pitched me, the, when she first pitched me the idea, she didn't actually pitch me the idea. Her mother did. Because her mother was so stinking proud of her that, you know, when she found out that I was the editor-in-chief for Dark Myth Publications, she pitched me the idea. And then I went over and I met with the author in person and I said, okay, tell me about your book. So she started telling me the story. And I mean, I was sucked right in. She talked for like an hour telling me about her book. She gave me her pitch. Now, most elevator pitches, most pitches to editors um, and publishers are very short to the point. 
but I wanted it all. I wanted to hear it all because it was so good. It was such an incredible idea. And the story that she told was just enthralling. It had me hooked. I'm like, you know what? I want it. Gimme. Gimme. <laughs> I want it. And I told her if there were parts that needed to be worked on, we would work on them together. Not this is how I want it written, rewrite this, you know, suggestions. I give suggestions. I don't give criticisms. Um, I don't give demands. I don't just arbitrarily change things without notifying my author. Like spelling and grammar, you don't need to know about that. Like you can look at it. I'm not going to write down every spelling, every word that I changed or every comma that I put in look at it yourself if you don't think that comma should be there let me know take it out whatever um but big changes like rearranging sentences or removing a sentence or adding a sentence or adding a paragraph or whatever um I will make suggestions like I have an editing business that I do on the side over and above um Dark Myth Publications and people hire me to edit their work and then they send them out to other publishers or whatever. And I, there was one that I just finished doing. Um, we went through several rounds over, I think it was, took us about a year to get it to where, um, I was comfortable in saying, you know what? Yeah, this is ready to start sending out. Um, he's still second guessing himself. <laughs> But that's because he's going from one style and one genre of writing into a different style. And it's a little difficult to kind of switch styles. If you're used to writing poetry, it's hard to kind of switch to writing a book, like a, a story, a fantasy story or a crime story or a love story. Because um, you want to continue to write in that poetic prose, in that that format um, but yeah, we worked back and forth and I was very honest with them and I told him parts that needed to be fleshed out a little bit more, um, things that he could probably take out that I didn't feel were really working. And he would explain to me, well, you know, okay, I agree with you or I don't agree with you. And this is why we need this in here because of this. And I'd be like, okay, you make a value, a valid, a valid argument fine, we'll keep it just like that. But how about if we add a, a connector sentence here or a little bit of a description here to explain why this is here? And you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So it went, like we put in an extra like 30,000 words, I think, into this book. So he didn't want to make it any longer than that, <laughs> which I get. He wanted to keep it fairly decently short. To a point, to a point, but you know, I don't make criticisms. I don't make demands. I make suggestions. And it, like I said, it really bothers me when I come across an editor that feels they have the right to change the author's work and say, "This is how it's going to go." Um, it's just a pet peeve of mine, but. Uh, 
I, I, I didn't really want to get into it that deep, and I went into it anyway. Um, but there are a few other more serious topics that I want to discuss. But I want to have kind of a a bullet point um, game plan. I'm playing with things on the desk again before I get to those topics because they are some opinion pieces and I want to make sure that my opinions are mine and mine alone and um, they don't necessarily reflect those of the Jays. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I want to devote an entire episode to that particular subject because I feel very passionate about a few things and I think it's time that I started talking about them and I started sharing them and I started voicing my opinions on some things. Uh, it could get dicey <laughs> to say the least, but um, the editing was one of the things that kind of bothered me and how some editors and I get it in the big book companies fine that's how they do it like one of my favorite authors um people there's one of her books they changed the name of one of the characters from one book to the next and we were all kind of like what why would you do that and she actually made an Instagram post about it. And it wasn't her. It was the editor. And when it came back to her, she was told, that's how it's going to be. And it had to be left. She couldn't, she couldn't change it. She wasn't allowed to change it. And I don't want to be that editor. I don't want our company to be that company. So it really bothers me when I hear stuff like that. And I don't want to, like, I would love one day for our company to be a big company, but I don't want to lose that small company feeling. I want to keep that personal touch and I want to keep that integrity that I have as an editor and the, the relationship that I build with my, my authors. I want to keep that. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to send a manuscript back to an author just to have them sign off on it and say, this is how it's going to be. This is what we're publishing. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't want to do that. So, anyway, <laughs> on that note, um, I think I'm going to wrap this up because it is Thursday. It does need to be uh, bumpered and boosted and padded and I don't know what else. Uh, I did make it easy, though, because it is on the computer that all the editing is done on. So, <laughs> I don't have to upload it. Um, I just have to press stop really. So I think I'm going to end it here so that we can get that done. And, um, I can go and brush this rat's nest that's in my hair because I'm in a very dry climate. And when I'm in a very dry climate, my hair decides it's going to just, you know, nest. I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird phenomenon on, on, how this happens and it then like within I'd say a couple of hours my hair can go from being 
smooth and and straight and well not really straight because it's curly but you know nice and and untangled to being going from that and going into being so knotted it moves as one cohesive unit um which is pretty much where it's sitting right now (laughs) needs a little conditioner i think so yeah i'm gonna end it here and i will be back next week You will hear me next week and we will start getting into the nitty gritty of some things. We will start talking about some serious subjects and um, maybe throw in a Florida man, California style, because there are some weirdos here. We stopped a a gas station to get some some drinks and some snacks and I looked down behind the dumpster and like there's some dude there shooting something into his arm like holy crap like a free range crackhead right there I've never really actually seen one in person and there it was I almost wanted to do the tourist thing and take out my phone and look I'm taking pictures look it's a real life crackhead in the wild (laughs) free range but no I didn't um so all right I swear I swear I'm out of here now. I promise I'm going to say goodbye. You know the drill. Be kind. Don't be the Karen with the dog, okay? Don't be the dude using the seat as a mouse pad. Be a nice person. Just, just, if you can't say anything nice, wait until you can come hang out with me and then tell me all the awful things that you want to say and I'll make it funny and put it on my podcast. Um... (laughs) But have a good week and uh, stay out of trouble. All right. And you know the rule. Don't lick shit. All right, everybody. See ya. Carry on my well, son. There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your weary head to rest Don't you cry